0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute.
1: See in the front there? Eh? So chart. What? People always ask me, Rabbi, what do you do a week? I think Rabbi uh, is doing just work on Chavez.
2: <laughs>
1: so I found this chart. One chart shows what, uh, what we do.
0: This is what the rabbis do? Do you need more? Mm-hmm. Nope. So, uh, what the clergy do. What the parishioners think the clergy do. <laughs> the clergy think the parishioners <laughs> think the clergy like it.
1: So of today it's interesting. The job of the rabbis changed immensely. Used to be a rabbi. Just to answer oh. questions. Ladies, to come to you with the chicken, answer the question, and you move on. Today, uh, looks good. To I chicken. think most of the most rabbis spend most of their time counseling people. So, so the whole, you know, that's the whole thing changed. To be a good mm-hmm. rabbi today, got to be good counselor, good therapist. therapist, mediator. Nothing to do with being a rabbi. Nothing to do with Judaism. You have to be uh, if you're a good if you're a good therapist. And a good rabbi. So, uh, so the question then becomes: When a rabbi fails in his duties, um, how does that work? Is he is he liable? Can he be held accountable um, if he gives someone, if he counsels someone the wrong way? So if he counsels someone the wrong way, he um, gives someone bad advice, whether it's marriage advice, whether it's uh, monetary advice and the person ends up, because of the rabbi's advice, ends up in a yeah, bad financial situation or whatever the case is. is, is he liable, is the rabbi liable? That's one thing. The second issue is the issue of confidentiality. Just as we know, let's say with attorneys, there's a concept of uh, client-attorney privilege where the attorney cannot reveal confidentialities, even if he's subpoenaed to court many times, he can't reveal confidentialities. How does that work with a rabbi? Um, someone tells you something, is there an assumption, is there a similar assumption of, of uh, confidentiality, privilege? Can a rabbi be called into court, be subpoenaed to testify if a congregant told him something, whether it's about his marriage, his business? There's a lot of fascinating issues. Um, and there were, believe it or not, lots of previous cases. So I found one fascinating case, um, if you see it on the top, because it's an actual case that occurred woman's name was Honey Lightman from the five towns in New York and she went to, she actually she was having problems in a marriage, she went to two rabbis um, who I happen to know both of them one of his name is Rabbi Weinberger, another Rabbi Flum. she went for marital counseling, she explained to him that she marriage is not going well, complaints. complained so she ended up suing both these rabbis in court because the rabbis then went and spoke to the husband after the counseling um, so, the rabbis, one of the main things, the defense of the rabbis was that they, she told them things that religiously they were obligated to reveal to the husband. So, for example, and this has come up in more than one case, there's a case in Muncie also that I read about. For example, one thing here, in this particular case, the issue was she said she was no longer going to the mikveh. She told the rabbi that she, she stopped going to the mikveh. So, they felt as as rabbis it's their religious duty to they have to let the husband know because technically if she t- hasn't gone to the mikvah they can't have relations so she mentioned that in, in during she her not have a period anymore she do not have
2: to go to the mikvah does she?
1: yeah well, uh, it seems like that wasn't the case <laughs> otherwise okay. it wouldn't be real.
2: I'm just asking you a question I'm yeah,
1: not getting into the details whether, I don't know I don't know how old she was but the point is she it was a case where she had to go to the mikvah she revealed to the rabbi she stopped going to the mikvah so the rabbi f- Claimed, at least in the in the case, um, on the stand, that he felt it was a religious obligation on his part to reveal the confidentiality. In um, other cases I've seen, is there's another reveal
2: to the husband. That so was, the out- it was the outcome. Was the outcome the case?
1: So they want the rabbis well, I don't want w- the case.
2: What do you mean? Re- I believe reveal to the husband. He knew she stopped going to the mission. No,
1: well, I was the He, the rabbi, didn't know that
2: he, he My husband he, must have known it because know was he wasn't getting any so no oh, maybe
1: that's the point so part of it was it turned into a custody battle at the end and that's how it was revealed meaning she the rabbi went and spoke to the was, if subsequently they got divorced there was a custody battle. the rabbi wrote an affidavit that she should not get custody because because she wasn't religious enough to bring up the kids or something like that. that's what happened at the end of the case. But once that came out in court documents, she sued saying that was confidential information. The information that I revealed that I told the rabbi, she that this woman told the rabbi, she said, wasn't, you shouldn't be saying that in court, that was private information.
0: Did she get custody? No.
1: she can get custody? She lost custody. Wow. Six, two kids, six and 12 year old. Wow. All so, right. So, there's a, there's, so that's one case. Another similar situation. So that's so what she'd say that. she says. So
2: yeah, okay, let's bust, read the case. It she says, said they included just lost the fact." Temporary custody.
1: No, that was this is a, this is just an article from the New York Times. The actual case which we have here somewhere. There's actually two articles written on this case in a in a psychiatric journal. Um, but the, the actual case, she did end up losing custody, I believe. This is just a, this is before the case actually occurred. This is when the case was starting. The New York Times happened to have an article. I just quoted from there. Anyway, but it says they included the fact that Mrs. Levin had stopped going to the McFarland ritual purification bath so that her husband would refrain from having sex with her. As a result, she said, unfound ru- unfounded rumors began to circulate, including a rumor that she was failing to live by Jewish law and seeing a man in a social situation, Stories story that shook her community. It was a, a Orthodox community. Now, she said, she's largely ostracized there and contributes attributes the loss of temporary custody of her daughters, aged 6 to 12, 6. I don't know how many there were, to the suspicions planted about her. His lightning would not say how much he was seeking in monetary damages, only that was in the millions. Okay? So, this is one case. Um, Another...
2: I'm just trying to piece this together in my brain, something that's not...
1: (laughs) Yeah,
2: well... Something that's that's not... (laughs) What is uh, what does what she went to the mikvah that to do with the custody issues?
1: No, so, so in the trial again, this was something just debatable. If the judge had a right to make the decision, but the, the assumption the father claimed that the children were brought up religiously, and she no longer is religious. The proof being is that she's she doesn't. Have so you see, she's no longer religious. Therefore, he was claiming custody to sole custody so he can bring them up in their continuous
2: religious environment. Right, but it seemed like they're not going to make it was just in spite to hurt the husband, I
1: mean. Okay, so that's bail. So that's part of the issue here, We're, meaning whenever you have religious issues, the court actually ruled that since it's a religious issue, it's you know, a First Amendment right, they have no jurisdiction to rule in the case. That's exactly the court ruled, and therefore that's why she didn't win the lawsuit, because they said it's a religious issue and the court doesn't have jurisdiction mm-hmm. that was part of it um the q- question was she was claiming breach of confidentiality so part of the issues we'll see was is there a fiduciary duty on the rabbi what how do we view the a relationship between a rabbi and a congregant is it a fiduciary duty relationship is it a as a psych- psychiatrist psychologist, as an attorney is it a business relationship or not that's part of the question okay so so there was, there was another case that I read about, which is similarly. There was a case in Muncie where a woman came to the rabbi and sa- and told the rabbi she's having an affair. So the rabbi felt religiously. There's a halacha, Torah says that if a woman is, is has an affair, she's not left to remain with her husband. That's that's a, a biblical law. Torah says a sota, some a woman who has who who has a relationship with another man besides her husband, she has to leave her husband, and she also she can't marry. Her, she can't stay married to her husband and she can't marry her lover. Both prohibited to her. Okay, that's she can't, she can't she can't marry stayed married to her husband, she hasn't divorced her husband. So, I Assuming mean, there were witnesses and it was actually an actual affair. She had relations with another man. She has to leave her husband and she also cannot marry her lover. She's prohibited to her lover and her husband. That's the Torah law, pretty strict. Okay? So, so in this case, the woman came to the rabbi, said she's having an affair. He felt his, as a rabbi, his religious duty is he has to let the husband know. law is he, he has to leave, they can't be married. So if she admitted having an affair, he felt it was his duty to go and let the husband know. Of course, so she sued him in court. But again, I don't know, I remember the outcome. you know? I, I don't remember, but uh, she sued him in court. I, I believe also the rabbi won. Hmm. Um, because again he felt like it's his, his religious duty that's the job of a rabbi he has to let the husband know
0: so why, would com- so why would anybody confide in a rabbi then?
1: <laughs> that's a good question that's a very
0: good if that's good. the outcome then.
1: no so that's going to be the question is there is there is confidentiality there is there? in clergy do clergy have an obligation of confidentiality or not that's the question you're right it might mess up the Deters anyone the wanted to talk yeah like the that, could be be. Priest, right? that could be that could be so we'll talk, So that's that's we'll get to that. So that, that's that's the question on the table. Um, like I said, there are other issues. Also, sometimes it's monetary where um, where the rabbi gave bad advice. The, the, the first case, actually, the first suit that took place, and I have here, 1980, against clergy, was a case. Of, it's called the Nally case, um, where these what well, that was this this fellow went to his church pastor to be counseled. He was depressed, and he he revealed to them that he wants to kill himself. in attempted suicide, and he told that to the pastors. And the pastors did not go ahead and and let, um, and he did not refer him to professional counseling. And then he committed suicide. And the parents were suing the church, the pastors, Grace Community Church, okay, because they claimed it was their negligence that resulted in the suicide of their son. This was the first case um, known as the Nally case, and um, a big uh, at the time. Originally, the courts ruled with the parents, but then it was struck down by subsequent courts in California, and it, it went back and forth a number of years. But at the end, they more or less, um, I believe, they ruled that that they, since there's no fiduciary duty as far as the clergy is concerned, therefore they had they did not have to refer him to counseling. It wasn't their obligation.
0: Nowadays, everybody. Their message says, "If you need immediate assistance, call 911." Everybody's message. I think I heard like three in the last week and these kind of things.
1: Are you rabbis or, or attorneys?
0: I'm not calling too many rabbis. <laughs> I, 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 just in general, different type of practitioners. I heard
1: right. of
2: them different. Yeah, they always have them. Right. You call them psychologists or psych- psychiatrists. They said, "This is emergency. Call 911." Right. right.
1: My dad is one of them.
2: So my dad's a psychologist.
1: No, but the point is there, there's clear clear fiduciary duty if they're your patient and you're obligated to, to do whatever you can. If they, it would be malpractice if you didn't do your job, so if they, you know, if someone comes to you and you didn't refer them on, the question is, is the, is the, is there a constant of malpractice with the, rabbi? That's where do the rabbis? Do
0: rabbis have malpractice insurance?
1: So it's interesting. So it says here the first I uh, put down here. Nineteen seventy nine was the first time insurance companies offered clergy malpractice. Yeah, but the,
0: the rabbis we know here in Houston have uh, malpractice. That's a good question. We we no I know
1: Torch. We had you did? we had uh, liability insurance for the board. I don't think for the rabbis. The board has uh, liability insurance uh, when I was in Torch, but not. But the ra- I don't think the rabbis do. The board is always worried about themselves. So, so
0: the Torch that's that's a nonprofit or not? Yeah. Huh.
1: Um, so, so in all, like I was saying, in the Nally case and in many other cases, subsequently, courts rule that there's no, there's no tort, there's no concept of a tort of clergy malpractice. Um, the question is why? Either because there, there's the First Amendment issue that since religion is a vow, so they could always um, call it religion. How are you, sir?
3: Sorry, what?
1: You're just on time. So the p- the point is, as far as tort is concerned, um, the courts have ruled in many, many situations that there is no there is no uh, tort of clergy malpractice. So so in that sense, um, you, you know, and unfortunately course it's been used in many cases, even in sex abuse cases, um, where the issue was let's say it's one case, a woman and a pastor. I remember reading where she the. Passed her claim since in the counseling she came to for marriage counseling, he ended up having an affair with her, and he claimed she she sued him at some point, and he claimed since his counseling was with religious, he quoted scripture and is, uh, therefore it's protected, and and the courts ruled in his favor so it's a little <coughs> crazy.
2: So the clergy Meaning had sex the, with the with the person?
1: Yeah, the woman and and she tried suing him and she lost. So the point is that the, the the I think the courts in general, it seems, in many of these cases, are are scared to get involved. Anything that has to do with religion. So, the question is, is it protected, and it's a very thin line. How do you define? He's sleeping with someone. He's claiming it's for, <laughs> it's for religious reasons. So, uh, so where do you draw the line? So, so, but in general, there is the concept of tort um, clergy malpractice does not exist. Um, in that sense, today I think I think a lot changed since the, a lot of the abuse in the Catholic Church with the priests. So I think, in certain sense, now there's been sort of there's starting to be a shift, um, but I, I don't know if there's any actual cases where that have been won. I don't know. I, I didn't see any. Um, so in this case again, so the so there's two issues here again. One is
2: well, sexual abuse is a crime.
1: Yeah, well, not to... Uh,
2: so the clergy's committing a crime. No,
1: we're talking about, let's say, not with that with children, pedophiles, of course, is illegal. The question is with an <laughs> adult where it was technically consensual, That was an abuse of his office, or she felt forced into it, she couldn't, he threatened her. There was actually a case with a rabbi, Muncie, New York, well, a similar case, where a woman came to him for, a single woman came to the rabbi for counseling, and she, she, stood about, she, she felt like she came get married she's not married yet she was older so he convinced her that you know part of it is your fear of relationships you need to learn how to not have a fair relationship have sex with the rabbi you know have a, have a relationship with me and i'll teach you how to be more open in your, and she also sued him and the question there was um, he claimed also it also was a question of is it protected you know do we view his Again, does he have, is it viewed as a fiduciary duty to his kind at counseling session? And therefore he had, he, then the laws of professionals apply. But if if we don't view a a, a clergy as fiduciary duty, their, their relationship with their congregants, then technically there's no protection. So it's not viewed as a professional relationship and he didn't do anything wrong. Even though she claimed he threatened that if she does reveal at a later point, it was the the affair was for three and a half years. They had a relationship. Wow. This guy was married. The rabbi was married. Um, having to know who he is, also prominent rabbi. And uh, he he, um, he threatened her that if she stops the, if she stops the relationship, he's going to malign her in the community and kick her out of the shul and et so. So, I'm saying it's, it's a... People abuse their parents. So she
2: practice. sued him for breaching... Uh, not practice?
1: I believe so. And I think she lost. Again, another case she lost. Um, it was called Mermelstein versus Congregation of West Hempstead. Rather, his name was Tender. So he lost his job. Looking for a job, anyone?
0: Remember? How long ago was that?
1: Uh, seven years ago, eight years. Ago. Still looking for a job. And <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so so just to get to so some of the Torah aspects. First of all, in general, there's a there's a, there's a prohibition in the Torah of giving bad advice. Um, in general, we discussed this in the past as attorneys or as anyone, and this is not applicable, it's not limited to clergy or attorneys, or, or anyone for that matter. If someone comes to you, Torah, there's a verse in the Torah that says like this, it says, shall not place a stumbling block in front of the blind. The um, Hebrew is lifnei iver It's actually last week's Torah portion, parashat kedoshim. And uh, there's there's three interpretations to understand that verse. Um, in the li- It's obviously the literal sense, it means putting, a you know, Charlie Chaplin, Putting a banana peel in front of a blind person coming down the block, you know, or putting, you know, something like that, where you're causing the person literally to stumble. So, so that, according to most, that's the literal interpretation, and that is prohibited. And then um, the other, another interpretation the Talmud says is it means spiritually blind. It means if someone is blind in the sense he doesn't know, doesn't know the law, and you go ahead and, and let's say in, in classical cases, I cause someone to sin. So meaning I, uh, I'm with, you know, I'm driving with someone, they want, uh, I, let's say, this would be another case, let's say this chicken I brought you wasn't kosher. It's KFC. It's not, it's kosher, by the way. But if it was KFC, so I would be in violation of this law of placing a stumbling block in front of the blind. Is I'm I'm basically causing you to sin. Okay, that's another, so that would be a violation um, of that sense. If placing a stumbling block in front of the blind, you don't know if this chicken's kosher and I'm feeding it. Is that would be another variation. Now the third interpretation of the verse is it means placing a stumbling block in someone who's blind. Someone's coming to you for advice, and you're off giving them intentional bad advice. So, for example, let's say someone asks me, "Should they buy this property?" And I know, and you know, I really want the property for myself. So I advise them. I said, for "Whatever reason, don't buy this property. It's not such a great property, but it really is." I'm giving them bad advice because intentionally, because for whatever reason, I. I doesn't make a difference what the reason behind it is, but the point is, if you're giving intentional bad advice, you're also, it's a biblical violation. So so more or less, if let's say anyone comes to, if someone comes for counseling to clergy and you and you give them bad advice, there is a violation, a Torah violation. Now, it's not actionable in a court of law, um, even, even in Jewish court of law. Meaning, uh, we saw this this week, speech is very dangerous. We saw this with uh, Mr., our beautiful Jewish friend, Sterling. Sure. Um, Donald Sterling, his name is Tokowitz, by
0: the way. Really He's Jewish. Jewish. Yeah, great. Right. Terrible,
1: right. His, name is, his real name is Tokowitz. Donald Tokowitz. I changed his name. But uh, in any case, so right. we saw the speech is very powerful. Um, I actually seen it as a piece today, also a um, relevant topic. Was she allowed to tape it? Did she have a girlfriend? She taped she a taped conversation. It would have been a different legal issue. If, if
0: he was his wife, he would have, he'd have a defense, yeah. right?
1: Spousal,
3: spousal privilege. Oh, really? did you see something cool. with your spouse? I think that that's. Uh, Supposedly, he's in a divorce right now with his wife. And she's, yeah, using she's suing
1: him. She's suing that woman. She's, she's suing Mr. There's going to yeah.
0: be different defenses raised. It's going to be interesting. There's I mean, well,
1: no defense Legal. Well, there's no legal issue yet. It's nothing. You know. No. He's
0: filed a lawsuit. Oh, I
1: mean, he. In the, the NBA.
0: Really? 2.2 really? Yeah. Two point two billion. Ready? Yeah. I haven't. I heard about it. I mean, this is the talk everywhere. I mean, everybody's I opinions. This is tough. This guy oh, Silver get came in to be t- the commissioner. Where did it come out? This is, this. This thing is going to be a big deal. You're going to tell the owner. I'm waiting ahead with the owners. How
3: quick does this? Mm-hmm. this stuff, what price? What terms?
1: Right, so he, bought money, so he bought it for
3: 12 million. <laughs> I heard that. But he, and he's selling it. It's worth about 750 million. So,
1: <laughs> no worries oh, about, yeah. man.
3: when you say it's worth 750, <clears throat> everybody here knows he has to sell. That means he may be getting an offer for $500 million. But there's multiple, multiple people who want to buy. The, it, he'll get his prize. But the whole issue is can he be forced to sell? And how much can he blackmail the other owners who've said the exact same thing, probably in different contexts, that he's holding back? I think the whole issue with him is that he didn't want her dating black men, not oh. because they were black, he didn't want to catch any venereal disease from them. I think that's probably what the gist was. It wasn't that he was a racist, which he probably is, but he didn't want to catch sounds
1: pretty racist. Sure, so Sounds a right? like racist. But that's
3: not really... A defence an in public court. It's gonna
0: be interesting, huh? Okay. Of a That's a big big it's so gonna be big. I mean this is yeah. a big yeah, it's dollar to He's a
1: topic.
3: he's a very, very, very successful personal injury attorney. That's how he yeah. made really? his money. Really? That's how he made his money? Yep, so. yeah. And so of all the guys I they gotta pick <laughs> on <laughs> they they gotta wow. fight.
1: So this is very relevant to this topic, I'll explain why.
3: Who's this to tell him? Now? They're talking about Ellie Clip. Donald Sterling. That.
1: This guy, uh, he, he,
0: he, he was taped saying racial things. Don't bring anybody black. Wasn't he just
2: fined by the uh, two and a half
0: million? They fined him, and now they don't. They want and to take him. him out or they something. Ban or him, or him or but how does that work? We're waiting to see how
3: that. The, they, they, they ban him for, for life, life. From, from the, from the NBA. Games. It's it's. I mean personally, mm. he's a racist. It's knee jerk what they did. Literal <coughs> correctness, and you find one person on this planet who's not quote racist or have free preconceived opinions about yeah, other people. Yeah, it's limits. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the guy surely is not a perfect human being. He's not a sodic, that, that is for sure.
1: So let me, let me tell you what's relevant to, uh, to this. Actually, it's very relevant. The point is, first of all, you see the power of speech, how, you know, you, you say something. It's, it's really two things, mm-hmm. the power of technology today. The power of speech. Without the tape recorder, <laughs> it wouldn't okay. be relevant. I of a
3: question. What about the prohibition against giving bad advice, and you talk about mostly intentional, what about somebody who's incompetent and gives really bad advice? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) You
1: mean, it's not not intentional?
3: Not intentional, but a a rabbi or whomever who gives bad advice. Is there, I mean, does it toward? Yeah, so again, so so that becomes
1: a question of fiduciary duty, is there a fiduciary duty? Mm -hmm. It's part of the job of a rabbi to give to counsel, Give advice. That's part of the question. Is there a fiduciary duty there? Then there could be malpractice. If there's not, then there's, you know then technically there's nothing you can do. It's because you we we can't protect you from idiots. Well I'm
3: just saying is right. there's a Torah prohibition.
1: No, the is only It's, it's intention. only intention. Yeah, I mean okay. if you have intention to give that's, it, that's to give the bad advice. You're placing a stumbling block. <clears> if I think I'm giving you a good list and I tell you buy the stock and it happens to go down, you know, that's that's
3: this is a malicious thing. Yeah, it's it's malicious. Not, exactly.
1: There's nothing malicious. There's nothing intentional. So it's specifically intentional bad advice. My point is, so from this story with um, Sterling, you see the power of speech. Number one, how you know uh, one conversation could basically mess up his whole life. So here too, I mean, the Torah is saying speech is prohibited. Certain types of speeches we're going to talk about are clearly prohibited. Even giving bad advice, which is just speech. But what's interesting is in Jewish law. Any violation of speech, including lashon hara, speaking negatively, maligning someone, is never actionable um, in in a court of law, because at the end of the day, speech, in order, in the Torah, at least in Jewish law, unless you did a physical action, <coughs> okay, you're it's not actionable. In court. There's no recourse. Meaning, so it's prohibited, but it's not actionable. Okay. So the same thing here would be: so giving intentional bad advice, the Jewish court of law is prohibited. But it's not actionable because you didn't do an action. Not, speech is not considered an action. So
0: Jewish law has got to be fine.
1: Still, I mean, technically there's no, we, there's nothing monetarily you can find. Um, we, you know, you might be able to ostracize him That's something else, or what they're doing. Ban him from the game, that's a separate issue. But I'm saying it's not, monetarily, there can't be any damages. That's what we're saying, but, and we'll talk about that in a second. Okay, so, uh, so, now, so here's, that's what I put down here, the, 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 the Midrash says here, just a quote, it says, what does it mean before a blind person? In front of someone who is blind regarding a matter, regarding a matter, meaning I don't know, is this stock a good stock? Is this property a good property to buy? If he takes advice from you, you shall not provide an answer that is improper for Okay. Um, just I found as far as Texas is interesting all, all the states have different laws as far as confidentiality and clergy um, each state is different first there's the first concept in the United States and it was introduced was in 1800s in New York which was called the clergy penitent privilege because in Catholicism you have a confession so th- that privilege was invoked that a, a priest um, anything that was said in confession doesn't have to be revealed. So that's the original, what was called the clergy penitent privilege. In Texas um, I have here the legislature in 1967 enacted Article 3715A, and it says like this No ordained minister, priest, rabbi, or duly accredited, I didn't know there were rabbis here in 1967. Um, no ordained priest, rabbi, or uh, minister, duly accredited Christian science practitioner of an established church or religious organization shall be required to testify in any action suit or proceeding concerning any information which may have been confidentially communicated to him in his professional capacity under such circumstances that to disclose the information would violate a sacred or moral trust when the giving of such testimony is objected by the communicant." So this is where the states defer, by the way. Um, who's, let's say the guy says it's permitted, who has to be, who has to give permission to reveal the confidentiality? So in some states it's actually the priest the rabbi as long as the rabbi says okay some states it's the congregate Um, in this case like in texas saying it's the communicant so that would be the person who spoke to you in some places you need both it's not sufficient to have one permission you have the permission from both the communicant and the and the practitioner okay so that's where states defer on that um says, however, the, that the presiding judge in any trial may compel such disclosure, even if, in his opinion, the same is necessary to a proper administration of justice. Okay, now what, what I found was it says this statute was effectively repealed in 1983 by the Texas Supreme Court when the court promulga- um, promulgated Rule 505. Um, and it says that the trial judge was vested with expansive authority to compel disclosure of privileged cl- clergy privilege. So it seems like they, they revoked this law in 1983. I don't exactly know what that means. How much of it was revoked? But it seems like much of the privilege was revoked, at least in the state of Texas. State of Texas. Now, what's important to note, in, again, in Jewish law, and we discussed this here in the past, there's a concept of lashon That means any type speaking, saying something derogatory, or negatively about someone, is a problem. Um, it's prohibited. It's a biblical prohibition. As a matter of fact, it's again this past week's Torah portion where it says like this, the verse says, on the sheet here, it says, you shall not be a gossip monger amongst your people. Um, you shall not stand idly by while your fellow's blood is being shed. I am God. So this is in kadosham again. It says, you're not allowed to speak, you're not allowed to gossip. Now, gossip doesn't only mean if it's not true, even if it's true, so I'm stating the fact. So forget about what Sterling did, which clearly that would be a violation of this law, saying anything negative about uh, some other human beings. But um, even if it's true, Okay, even if it's true, you're now allowed to state it. Now the question would be, so let's say in the case where uh, the rabbi, this woman came to the rabbi, she's having an affair, and the rabbi then goes and, and tells the husband. Okay, so you'd say, well, it's, it's in violation of this law, he's saying something negative about, his, about the wife. But the, the, what's important there is two things. One is the end of this very same verse. If you see the words, the end of the same verse that says, don't gossip, prohibited to say something negative. It also says, don't stand idly by while your fellow's blood is being shed. And we discussed that in the past. That's understood to mean the, the juxtaposition, the fact that the Torah is stating it in the same verse. The Torah is telling you that in certain cases you're, you have to speak Lashon Hara. You have to say something negative. That means, if I can, first of all, say surely if I can save someone's life, right? let's say I know someone, and we discussed this uh, I think in the past, if I know someone who's dating someone who has AIDS, who has HIV, or any other... Uh, you know sexually transmitted disease. So I forget about as a rabbi, anyone even as a regular Joe Schmo as a rabbi for sure, but, but if someone comes to me and tells and I know they're dating this person, I have to let them know because if I don't even though I'm saying something negative, but I'm saving their life. The Torah says, don't gossip but, if, but also don't stand out of the by when someone's blood is being shed. So if I know this person has this disease and they're going to pass it on to someone else, I have to let them know. So it's not, in that case, not only is it not Lashon Hara, not only is it permitted to say negative things, it becomes obligatory. It's now a mitzvah if you could save someone's life by revealing something negative, then you have to do it. It's not considered negative. In that case, you're saving a life. Okay, so again, so if someone comes to me as a rabbi and says, uh, you know, I'm dating this guy, rabbi. All right, what do you know about him? And I know this guy is HIV positive. I have to tell that that woman because... that's this obligation here of do not stand idly by. So even if it's revealing confidentialities, in that case I'd be obligated to say it. So what's interesting is not only saving a life, the literal translation of the verse is is while your fellow while your fellow's blood is being shed. But the the many commentaries broaden this even in monetary cases. So that means if someone comes to me as a is going to business with someone. Okay, again, it's and it's not limited to rabbi, anyone, it means any Jew, the mitzvah is for anyone. It's the same obligation for anyone. Um, but the point is, if someone comes to you and says, I'm going into business with this guy, um, and you know this guy, the last three partners, he screwed them, and you know, he did, had a Ponzi scheme, and whatever it was, he took their money, he never paid them. So you are now obligated to say something. Even though it's negative, we're saying technically, normally, we, you don't say, you're not allowed to say something negative, but in a case where you can save someone a monetary loss, then you're obligated, now it's not negative becomes, this is not only is it permitted to say, you're obligated to, to reveal that information. Okay, so there's two things. One is in general case, where there's not confidentiality is involved, but even if there is an issue of confidentiality, whether you're an attorney or a physician, or, or let's say a rabbi, um, you still would have to break the confidentiality. In a case, well, in, in a case, for sure we have to save someone's life. Okay, so let's say as an attorney, someone comes to you and says, you know that your client mentions they're HIV positive, whatever the case is, and you know they're dating someone, you have to go tell that but person. Said, yeah, okay, that right. so now we'll talk about, <coughs> let's say you're gonna lose your license because of it, that becomes a whole different issue. be mm-hmm. a different problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but how do you
2: know they're HIV positive? They told you. Oh, they told
1: you. Or you're a physician, you gave them the test. Here,
2: here's one for you. Let's say a physician. So a
3: physician here in Uganda. would be not you what? You're in Uganda or Kenya. Yeah. and in your rabbi somebody comes to you and says I have HIV what do I do And you see if you tell them to go to the public health authorities like in Uganda or Congo I'm, I'm, they die they, they kill them. Uh-huh. Well, uh. so if you reveal to somebody, that their confidence that they have HIV, you know it will result in the HIV bearer's death. Uh, I mean, they're <coughs> somebody who's gay, I'm gay, and they're in a country where they'll be prosecuted. and oh, gay
1: HIV, I mean, saying let's say you but know that, the person has
3: HIV. They don't have to be same time.
1: Just no, I'm saying day. let's say you know the person has HIV and you know if you reveal the information, he, they might kill him, so that's a different story. So then it becomes, individual versus society. The question is, if this guy is sleeping around, you know he's sleeping around, so then you, we don't, we sacrifice individual for society. It's usually the rule of thumb. In, in Jewish ethics, at least. so, Just so if
3: he's gay and he's sleeping around in a country that will kill him for being gay? Meaning,
1: and he's not telling his partner. Listen, he can do whatever he wants if he tells his partner. Yeah, let's say he's not so telling if it's consensual. his partner. So you right, so then meaning when it dead. becomes a society versus individual issue, so then society wins out over the individual. For example, in the other case, let's say you're an attorney. You talk about school counselors. If they, you know, let's say the kid tells them they're pregnant or or they're whatever the case is. So, they, so if the school counsel will then go ahead and reveal that information, even though they might have to the parents, no kids, all the kids will stop coming to see the school counselor. Or as an attorney, if people know you're you're going to reveal you reveal this information, you're going to lose your license. So now it becomes, you know, it becomes against society versus the individual. So this kid might be in danger. Because they, re- you know, whatever it is, sleeping around or whatever the case is, this girl's pregnant, she's 12 years old, 14. So I might have to reveal it to the parents. But on the other hand, if I do reveal it, no one, no other kids are going to ever come to see the school council. So that, again, becomes a society versus individual situation. So you you might say, in that case, don't reveal it because society is more important than this individual child. So the same thing with an attorney. If you, you know, say he's going to lose his license or... All attorneys, if there's no attorney-client privilege, pe- people won't come and, and say anything to the attorney.
3: It sounds so like it's more strict for an attorney than a rabbi.
1: Yeah, sure.
3: No, I mean, a rabbi <laughs> no, because is obligated to tell that somebody's dating and they have No, HIV but also because but there's... there's rabbi. Right,
1: because there's the issue with the rabbi is, in many cases, in that the courts have ruled that it's not considered fiduciary duty. Therefore, there's no contractual obligation, and therefore I can reveal whatever I want. I mean, you're right. People, like you said before, so people lawyers don't have to worry about through the throughout.
3: balance between society and the individual.
1: At least less so than than So, so the point is that this is called in, in Jewish law. It's called toelet. Toelet means this, if there's any constructive purpose in in revealing something, um, in revealing confidentialities or we're saying just negative statements. So it's not only permitted; it may become obligated in many cases. Okay. Now, the last thing I want to Okay. Is the question of
0: Can we just close
1: the door yeah. um, The question of of let's say you did cause. Let's say in Sterling's case, what I'm assuming what he's suing about is that because of what they're doing, his team is losing value. Okay, right. I'm assuming that's what his lawsuit is. I don't know. Is that in the news this morning? I don't know.
4: Somebody told me. I, don't know where I it's didn't here. see it. Sue based that of a private conversation. Not intended for disclosure nor expectation for disclosure. So, who's at fault? The NBA? The NBA, at fault.
1: The NBA didn't reveal it. It was TMZ. No,
4: but someone revealed it to TMZ. The woman had no intention of disclosing it, she said. She didn't. By TMZ, they they said. They
1: asked TMZ if they bought it or not. They refused to say whether they paid for it. Who's
4: the source of the information? She said it's not her.
1: Are they still together?
4: I don't know that. No. (laughs)
3: I don't, I don't think
1: he's, he's going to find a different, he's different he's flavor. Private, private
3: he's 80, she's private. 23 or something. I thought his family was suing him for 1.8 million of the wife of this. Suing her? Right. Yes. you. Elliot,
1: how can we get a piece of this? I know. How can we get it?
3: The first thing I thought when I saw him on TV, this is like, thank God it's not that Jewish. <laughs> That's why he hasn't made
1: any
4: public statements. He's gonna sue. He doesn't, he doesn't statements against him. Mm. He hasn't come out to say anything.
1: And that's why he didn't apologize
4: to Silver and the phone conversation Silver had with him. Silver said on his press conference that he showed no remorse as to the statements that he made. Uh It's all part of it already. He's already in litigation mode. He doesn't want to recognize that anything he did was wrong. (laughs) I mean, if so he apologizes, like then, he then he apologizes. Is really accepting, acquiescing that what I shouldn't have said. What I said, he's going to defend that I had no, I had a right to say what I said, and no
1: it's one has the right to
4: be talking. speech. People. Huh?
1: Private yeah.
4: conversation. Supposedly,
3: he has a net worth of $1.5 billion. half yeah, point eight. One point eight billion. <laughs> well, I guess he's funded for his lawsuit. <laughs> so that's that's so all calculated.
1: Yeah, so that's the question. Silent. The question is meaning. So we're saying. If I give bad advice, it's, that's non-actionable. But let's say I caused a monetary loss. Let's say, you know, a case where where by me saying something, I caused the monetary loss by me. Let's say I'm a, I'm, a, I told someone to buy the stock or whatever the case. Was. Uh, and what, now what about the
3: guy you just talked about who says I have a partner making me an offer and then the rabbi says no, he's he up three people right. before you. Could okay. the perspective partner then go after the rabbi and say look you just caused me to lose a partnership with this
1: individual so that's 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 the question here so so the so in jewish law i don't know legally in jewish law law, so there's a concept cause called grammar which i think i believe we probably mentioned here in the past it means indirect causation of damage that means you're only Mm -hmm. liable in jewish law for damages if it was direct okay if i did something, for example, the classical case that Thomas talks about is in, is where you, uh, you know, someone, there's a mattress on the ground, a six-story building, and someone is throwing, you know, their, their whatever, their glass vase out the building, it's going to land on this mattress. Okay, and then I'm walking by, and I pull away the mattress. The thing's in the air, the vase is coming down, I pull out the mattress from the back. Okay, so Tomlin says you're not liable, because because you, it was indirect causation. Yes, you caused the vase to break, but they, you didn't do anything to the vase. You didn't do any action to the vase. It's only if I take a baseball bat and smash the vase, I'm liable. If it's indirect causation, the person not liable. you know.
3: direct and proximate cause. Yeah, that's
1: the proximate cause. That would be the, would be the legal term. Okay, so so therefore, and it gives numerous examples. Let's say burning someone's stock certificate, right, or even a check. It's a question of that. Check is has no value upon itself. Stock certificate itself has no value. Just I need that to prove that I own the stock today. Not anymore, but in the old days, right? So, so, so the point <coughs> is, so if I burn someone's stock certificate, that's also it's indirect causation of damage. Um, let's say I tell someone where this guy stashes, right? So I'm a drug dealer, I tell another drug dealer, oh, this is where he stashes, and they go and rob rob the stash. So again, I caused the damage, but it was indirect, and therefore not liable. Um, Okay, so, so the question is anytime the what's understood is anytime there's speech involved, it's really indirect. Meaning, let's say like in this case, let's say he's going to sue the NBA, so logically it's indirect causation. There's no proximate cause. If I said publicly, this guy's a racist now, no one wants to do, although, you know, Kia pulled their sponsorship, 10 companies, they, they during the two last two Clipper games, they there was no ads. <laughs> there was no advertisements during the games, all the companies pulled out their advertisement they had just ads for other TV shows. Because no, every company, Kia, I mean, it's 10 corporations that sponsor that are sponsors of the Clippers, all pulled out. Right? So that's major revenue loss. But but again, it's indirect causation. Listen, I if I go around saying this guy's a racist, and now people don't want to do business with him, that's indirect causation. And according to Jewish law, you're not really liable. Okay, now there is um, difference, differences, opinion. Gamara does discuss, let's say, a what's called a money um, a money changer and I go and show him a, a bill Right, I go and ask him is this bill counterfeit because I'm doing a business deal I have a stack of hundreds that I'm getting from my customer and I want to check if they're counterfeit and this guy tells me they're fine and it turns out they're counterfeit so in that case um, the, interestingly enough the Talmud says if the person was a professional then he's not liable if it was a lay person then he is liable which is Against conventional wisdom, I'm not sure I understand it fully. But the point is, a curbside opinion um, is. is I think. No, d- it makes a difference if it's professional investment advice or just a curbside opinion. And there's a difference there. So I put down here four determining criteria for assessing reliance factor. Meaning, if the bottom line is, the Talmud seems to imply, if the person's relying on that advice solely for their business transaction, then you're then you're gonna be liable if you give bad advice. Person not relying on it. There's an assumption of reliance, so that and this gets back to the question of clergy. The question is, do people view are rabbis professionals or not? In the sense of marriage counseling. I can tell you from my case. Today rabbis do a lot of marriage counseling. Most of them are not trained. In rabbinical school I get zero training in, in marriage counseling, I do mediation, I do marriage counseling. Have no and no uh, training. Pr-
3: look at priests, they give sex counseling. <laughs>
1: Right. So, so the point is, so, so. Do you view a member of the clergy as, as a professional or not? Meaning, can you say that the congregants coming to him, that's that there's this reliance factor, they're relying on the clergy. So if there is a reliance factor, and then it becomes, like we're saying, if they're considered professionals, then there might be a fiduciary duty, and then they'll be held liable for malpr- then they could be held liable, for malpractice.
0: What about this? so the standard? How is it determined? The person who's coming to see the rabbi. They so think. in the
1: Talmud it says, yeah, if they if it's they express reliance, listen, I'm coming to you and you're my sole advisor. If they many people have started. Wouldn't therapists. everybody claim that? Ah, okay. So the question is uh, how it works. How do we ascertain that? It's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. But the same thing, by the way, the, the courts also said. One of the questions discussed in the courts in the confidentiality yeah. cases was, was there assumed confidentiality, words, is No, it's the to assumed confidentiality when they're coming to speak to their rabbi. Or not. I not think
2: they do. I would hope so. If I, yeah, if I go well, to my why, rabbi why anybody come to speak and to him? let's say I go to my rabbi and say you know, I'm in uh, bad financial situation, I'm going to lose my house, and he goes and tells some real estate investor hey, uh, so-and-so's going to lose his house so why don't you go over there and make him some low-ball offer, you know what I mean?
1: So that, that's the question. How do we, uh, how do we view the courts seem to say that there, there's not necessarily so an assumption unless it was stated, unless the person stated. They're assuming confidentiality. The courts seem to say that there's no assumption of so confidentiality. Yes,
0: the people coming to you, they'd all say, "I assume it without asking you."
1: Right. So, so once you, you put
0: a little thing on the wall of every rabbi, you have to ask me. Listen, I,
1: I, think you're right. I'm just saying, I'm just telling what the courts sure. said, which, for whatever reason, they were, they did not want to say.
2: So there's no, uh, any circumstances where there's
1: confidentiality with your rabbi? I'm not saying there's no, no. It's it stated, first of all, the, for example, the defense of these two rabbis with this case, this woman who came and wasn't going to the mikvah, so the court, she, he, one of the defenses of the rabbis was she came with, with another woman, with her sister or something. Her sister was in the room. So obviously she didn't care if It was confidential or not, which is, which is a ridiculous claim, even though the court accepted the claim. Because, I mean, some people bring to counseling that bring someone because they need support. And many times uh, I do divorces, people come and they're looking for moral support, so they bring someone with them. It doesn't mean they're assuming it's not confidential because they bring someone, but the court accepted that defense. So
2: uh, there's no time that your conversation with the rabbi is confidential? I, I don't know,
3: your well, rabbis. But when you say that, the, it's not confidential under state law, at least in Texas. Yes. But you're saying under the Torah. So, under I mean, Judaic law, Holocaust, it is confidential? Well,
1: no. What I'm saying is, yes, there isn't assumed confidentiality under Judaic law, but in these except, particular cases... Except
3: if, when you're protecting society... Right, protecting
1: or another individual. Like in this case, he was preventing the husband from sinning because this woman came, mentioned in the conversation she's not using the mikvah. That means they can't have sex. So he felt the rabbis then went and told the husband, and she sued the rabbi and she lost. Because they, they in that case... They were saying, we're doing our religious duties to make sure the husband knows he can't have relations.
4: That's why they don't go to Bespin. That's why those people
1: went to court. Which people? He, he, he yeah, they yeah and 100%. Yeah, but she lost in court, too. Though. I
4: know, that's but they exactly. had a better chance there. than. Any. Yeah,
1: and sure. There was no, so Bespin no. went to help them. No, anyway, it's not actionable. We said before, revealing confidentiality is not actionable in Jewish court, in either case. Even so they if you had no right to reveal. Yes, yeah, so it's not actionable anyway. The question is in non-Jewish court, well, it is actionable. She's suing for millions, it says. didn't say how much to millions. Right.
4: Is she prohibited from going to civil court when the Luchat doesn't give her the right to, to compensation? Or the recourse? No, so... Can, rabbi so you, have no, you have no right under total mm-hmm. to go to civil court.
1: It's questionable, debatable. Yeah. Well,
3: the civil court would have jurisdiction. No, We're no, not not he's saying,
1: whatever. according to Jewish law, you're not, allowed, you're not supposed to go to civil court unless, it's, unless there's nothing, whatever reason, you can't... One of the parties doesn't want to go to Jewish court. In Jewish law, you always have to first go to a Jewish court of law. That doesn't work, meaning not if, not if you tried it and you lost. It means if the other party won't go to a Jewish court of law, if it's two Jewish parties they are obligated to go to a Jewish court of law, if one party refused to go, then you're allowed to go to secular law. That's the way, that's officially the law. No one keeps that. She would have known she can't get relief in the Jewish court. Right. And with the question with would a rabbi
4: tell her, so, if you're observant, you can't go to civil court under that law?
1: Could be, probably. Especially in this case, right. suing the rabbi. Suing the rabbi. <laughs> so, so it's a little uh, bias here. Anyway, it's, it's complicated. I mean, I, it's amazing this, how many cases there actually were. So last, I gave this class like two years ago in V&E, and we had this professor and we were there. She wrote a book on, on suing clergy. She's, she's the textbook they use in all the law schools. She teaches here in, in U of H. Her name is Griffin. Griffith, Griffin. Um, so she was saying, it's amazing how protected clergy is. It's, it's scary. <laughs> and that people won't sue. It says in the first case, she wrote, uh, I remember seeing, she, in this Nally case, the lawyer then said, the defense was you can't sue God. If you're suing clergy, you're suing God. Like, heck, we can't sue God. <laughs> Which is a very, very... Uh, today we know... You know, it's a scary thought. I mean, because if you leave, you see what happened in the Catholic Church, and in many cases with rabbis too. How if you leave, uh, you can't. If you leave them unchecked, it's a dangerous situation. No, I,
3: have a, I have a good friend of mine <coughs> in California named John Manley, one of my Navy guys, and uh, he sued the Catholic Church. He's Catholic. He was abused. And, huh? He was abused. No, he wasn't. But he had a number of people come in, and pretty soon he probably had. Three or four hundred clients. I mean, he he did real well, but he he went out to the Catholic Church for about twelve years, chipped away and.
1: Uh, in the, in California.
3: In California, he's in San Diego, but he went all around the country and. You know, I was asking him. Look, I'm Jewish. I don't really care, you know, per se, but. So you're Catholic and you're going after the Catholic Church. He goes, the Catholic Church is who's really guilty. He says, the priests, yeah, they're protect, perverts, but the church is who them. basically encouraged them and, and protected them and allowed them to do this for a year, hundreds of years, you know, much less than Knowing that
1: there's a problem.
3: He says, yeah, I'm, he says, um, he says, I'm still Catholic. I believe in Catholicism. And he says, but I'll never go into a Catholic church for the rest of my life. Said, okay. But yeah, he he. Uh, he cut him down to the dirt level. Yeah, well, there's, there's, there's,
1: I mean, I think the Jewish community is now coming to terms with that also. Because there was always this concept in the Jewish community of, you know, let's, uh, you dealt with it, of not, you know, let's sweep things under the rug. We don't want to air our dirty laundry in public. You know, let's take care of ourselves. Rabbis. That was the opinion for I would say the like last the four pope, years.
3: Whichever Pope it was, they just made a saint and there were objections to him. Yeah, I can't remember which one. They're all they're pope. Was a Pope. But like, it, and they were objecting to him being made a saint because he was instrumental in concealing a lot of the priest pedophilia.
1: So so this so now the I think the Jewish community is finally realizing, no, we have to not for sweeping under the rug because you, you're not solving the problem if you even if right. rabbis think they you know they are, okay this guy's not many of these people have an illness and you can't control it they can't control it they're not going to stop you know so if you just say okay let's send them line, you know, we'll fire him from this job and now he gets a job different school or whatever the case is I want to talk about your issue yeah so he, dealt, he dealt with the case
2: so, uh, I think my issue was more that they were, um, well. clergy was protecting also. anyone Right, not only protecting, but it was negligent hiring of someone. Without background check. Without a background check, which would have been a school. pedophile background, you know what I mean? And they put him in, uh, it's like putting a junkie in a pharmacy, you know what I mean? It was a Jewish yeah, school here,
1: in Houston, here. and they, they hired someone without doing background check and got yeah. here. Wasn't wasn't Jewish? The guy wasn't Jewish.
3: No. no. So it was a chef. Did, did they cook. normally do a background check on the people they hire? Or they just were deficient this one time and probably wasn't. But did do background checks, right?
2: They probably. No, checked. they probably didn't do background, background checks. Check, but a background check would have revealed right. on this guy. I mean, and plus they had people coming forward that uh, he was too close to the kids and so forth and. Go to the bathroom with him. I mean, there was just. He was a, lot. a
1: chef in the school. What was, he? What was his huh? position? Cook. Huh? What was his position in the school? What was the guy's position?
2: Huh? Oh, he was a chef.
1: Okay, I saw actually, I didn't play in that room, but there was a cartoon I saw I used in the past. So it, it's a church, people come to church, it says on the front side, we, we do background checks on all our priests. <laughs> Today it's.
3: Is that still pending, or it's over?
2: No, we had to back off the case because of what, like the lady said, being ostracized and
1: people they, they don't like publicity.
3: Yes, it's funny, and the similar thing with with Jews. I there's a particular institution here who received. Uh, pledges or dues for for it from very prestigious Jews who reneged on paying large sums of money and I would harass and do everything I could to get the money and when it got to the point of filing suit, they said, No, you you can't file suit. Jews don't sue Jews. I said, Well, they owe you quite a bit of money. and no, we we won't do And I said, Okay, fine and that was it, the same thing. I backed off
1: very prominent people Tough to Tough So Elliot, how are we getting
0: You have been listening to the MP3 project from the Jewish Ethic Institute. For a complete selection of our lectures, please visit our website at j ethics.
4: .org Shalom